Hello everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast. I am your host, Dan, and with me as usual, my co-host is Rob. Hello. We'll be talking about our usual favourite subject, which is Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop role-playing games, because much of what we talk about can also be applied to other games in a more general sense, of course. Very true. Please, uh, before you watch the rest of the uh, podcast, or you can wait till the end, but it'd be great if you do it now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a like. Uh, check out our other videos. Also, head over to Instagram and to Twitter, where we also have accounts uh, that you can follow. I believe the terminology of both of those. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, no pressure. I guess you don't have to, but you do have to. If you if you want the dice gods to be happy, they demand it. Except for you, Joe. Except well, yeah, Joe's luck is he may as well go and pray to the the dice devils. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to push it the other way. <laughs> Some sort of favor is uh, is needed for Joe. And I don't think we can help as much as we might be priests of the dice gods. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to be able to aid in uh, improving his roles. He's been alright recently. He's been alright recently. He rolled a natural 20 last session, so... He did. Might be the first time. <laughs> uh, but... Maybe second. I don't know if it was when he actually really wanted it to be a natural 20, but it was... He got a natural 20. Um... Pretty certain he was unhappy with getting the natural twenty when he got it. I'm pretty certain. Um, Aren't we all? No, not you. Sure, I'm pretty happy to get a natural twenty. Especially with our current ruling on get a uh, natural twenty gets your inspiration. Oh, I like that rule. We're taking that into stride on my other group. That's good. If something Sticking works, with it. why not keep it? Work for us. So we will begin uh, with the old. A little bit of news. Obviously, big news across all of the world. Awkwardly Big Dice is now exclusive to YouTube. We're not doing live streaming on Twitch. I'm sure all our like two Twitch followers are, di- are disappointed. But uh, Sorry, Steph. <laughs> but we're moving to focus on, on YouTube and, and produce uh, our podcasts on there. And obviously, you can find them on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts as well. If you have a request for it to go on any another podcast service, let us know um, in the comments below. Aye. Yes, we'll start with a little bit of bit of D and D news that I just discovered. Though I didn't. It's not D and D news. We'll call it a tabletop role playing game news. And that is that at BlizzCon, uh, a few days ago, uh, there was an announcement by Blizzard, as you would expect at BlizzCon. Would be the case, usually. <laughs> that there will be a Diablo... They've announced a Diablo tabletop role-playing game. Fair and fair. board game, apparently. Whatever it means by tabletop role-playing game and board game. Uh, but they are doing that... I believe in conjunction with a group called Glass Cannon 
Unplugged and Genuine Entertainment are two groups, I Good. suppose. Fair enough. I'd be interested to see how that works out because Diablo as a game is very much more focused on that one pillar, really, more than anything of combat, loot, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, don't get me wrong, I actually really like the lore of that Diablo universe. Yeah. I think it's quite rich and interesting, especially since sort of from Diablo 2 to 3 and, and 3 onwards. Uh, 4, I have mixed feelings about, but that's probably just because of the game as well. But uh, so I'll be interested to see how that kind mm. of turns out. If it's if it is like a, a proper role play, every you know intensive thing, or if it's a bit more like beers, dice, dungeon crawling. Uh, what uh, I quickly scanned, they haven't announced too much, but it, it has, yeah, they've said it. They will be related to the um, the the two the board game on their TTBRG were related to each other. It's gonna have you obviously set in the Diablo universe of Sanctuary yeah. and beyond. I don't know, it just seems uh, uh, a bit cheeky for Blizzard. Or, uh, who is it now? Xbox, technically. Um, <laughs> yeah. To be doing a Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> because uh, on the website I've read, uh, it says, which is Escapist Magazine, it says, while little is known about the gameplay players are uh, eager for a more physical loot grinding experience can join the pre-order campaign over on Kickstarter when it goes live uh, on as yet an unspecified date uh, the game is officially uh, set to launch in fall 2024 not surprising but I'm like Kickstarter really that's you can't afford to do it any other way big massive conglomerate uh, Corp. Classic Bobby, that though, isn't he? Does he is he still the CEO now that Microsoft have bought him? Well, the, is he not the dude who got kicked out though? Oh, I don't all know. The sexual abuse on. Oh no, he didn't get kicked out. He, he wasn't part of it. He just mm. part of that. He he just was the CEO. Bobby, what's his name? He's just like he looks like. If you look at him, if you could compare a person to an animal, you'd look at him and go, "That's a shark." Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, they'll still be they'll be run as subsidiaries of Xbox games, won't they? Which in itself is a subsidiary of, of uh, Microsoft. I guess they should have more money. Is the whole point? Is their big backing uh, yeah. money? Yet yeah, they're going to go to kick. It's just so cheeky to go to Kickstarter. Like, you kind of sound like the smaller guys doing your um, doing your you, you know two guys trying to make a make a tabletop game, test their mechanic their me- new yeah. mechanics out and whatnot. You can completely understand Kickstarter or, or uh, any other sort of crowd um, if you can't get like a, the right level of investment because they're a small company, indie companies that sort of stuff, then yeah that's what Kickstarter's for it's not it's not for rich companies to say fund the game before we make it no it just feels a bit it's a bit and we all I just, it just reminds me because like Blizzard these days really love microtransactions um, just a bit so how are they going to squeeze that into a board game and a tabletop game? <laughs> Every monster will cost you. Like... There's going to be RFID tags on on a on yeah. the on the board that link directly to your PayPal. It's like scan that to <laughs> move forward four spaces in the battle pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stupid. But yeah, it probably will be something like that. <laughs> I mean. 
they can't, they love money so much they just need to release Monopoly. <laughs> they are basically That's... doing that. They are trying to create a monopoly in video games. I think Microsoft. Yeah. Sony, That's what I meant. Yeah. Sony's the only one who's standing there, standing the ground really, because Nintendo will just stick to their little corner and don't bother anybody else. Yeah. Sony's doing its own version, but it's it's a better version. But yeah, that's a that's a different conversation. I suppose we are a TTRPG podcast, not a video games podcast, <laughs> and that is a big rant that I don't really want to take the lid off right now. <laughs> I mean, a bit Ill. It, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a game. It's a game, and the game in in the word uh, the, in the letters, the G at the end, TTRPG. Uh, but yes, we we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole. Instead, let us go to our usual topics of Spell of the Week and Monster of the Week. Our, uh, dice roll our dice rolls will determine who gets to pick who goes first and who goes last. I'm guessing because we've never really given like, value to which is better, first or last. Um, so we, we choose. But... Uh, <laughs> Shall we roll? Yes. Today I am using a glow-in-the-dark green dice that I got from Goblin Dice. Very nice. I think uh, I'm using one I think I've used before, which is my my red and blue mix one. (laughs) Uh, That was not a good roll. Go on then, what you get? Got a four. I'll still beat you. I didn't get a great roll. I got a nine. You got a a middling roll. (laughs) Yeah. As I said, not great, but not, not, not bad. Um, so, so it's your choice. You, so you today, choice. I've got a monster. You've got a spell. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what order we went in last week. Uh, um, I, went, I went first last week. Well, I'll go first this week then. Get it out of the way. Sure. So, this week, I'm going for a, a monster that I have used quite a few times because I have run Curse of Strahd and I'm about to start running Curse of Strahd for my other group. I am you. I am going for the vampire spawn this week. What a surprise! Vampires, Rob. You I know. I know. It. Wait, you like vampires? We're all right. Okay. Last week's podcast was a, was a lie. You, yeah. <laughs> you stated Absolutely. you love vampires. I love them. Yeah, they're one of my favorite uh, fantasy-based creature types, whatever you want to call it. Uh, vampire spawns. They are typically typically the minion of a full-fledged vampire or a vampire lord. Uh, typically somebody who has an extreme control over his minions or her minions. Uh, Strahd is, as you would expect, somebody who can create vampire spawns. And it kind of sticks to the typical law uh, of how they're created, that a vampire must bite somebody and... Uh, then kill them in in the in the in the D world. We have to then bury them in the earth, leave them a day or so, and outgrows a vampire spawn. Of course, as soon as you're a vampire, well, you must remember you you apparently just become like twenty times sexier by being, yeah. <laughs> being a, apparently being a vampire, as per the rules of like every vampire TV show or movie. I was actually thinking True Blood, to be honest with you. Um, I've still not seen that. I should watch that. But yeah, it just—it's just the rules, apparently. 
Uh, they're pretty pretty much as you kind of would expect. Very very typical to the trope. Decent armor class. Quite a lot of HP. Uh, standard movement. Uh, quite dexterous. Quite strong. Because they're spawns, they don't really have much in the uh, smart characteristics. Intelligence and wisdom are both a flat plus zero. Um, a tiny bit of charisma. But these are really the henchmen of the vampire. Uh, they're quite a good one because you can take a few of them uh, to support a, a, like a boss fight of the, of the vampire lord. Uh, quite good there. Or you can take one or two against some lower level players and really give them a challenge. They're quite versatile in my opinion that way. Mm. Challenge rating five kind of speaks for itself there. Mm. They've got uh, some very mm. carry on. I was just gonna say yeah, five, but don't take five as a serious thing. No. Um. So no. My only thing on on that is when you were saying you can obviously you can use them for a variety of um, a variety of uh, groupings, I suppose. Um. You can also, if you want to have a vampire that is at a but your party are at a lower level, so you play them like a proper first tier play one to five but you don't want to throw a full vampire or whatever other type of vampire there are at the um the place you could just take the spawn off the end of the name and use this as well yeah absolutely uh yeah the players don't need to know it's a vampire spawn and nothing about the vampire law or anything else suggests that they lose their uh intelligence like they're still flat zero so like flat plus zero that is not an actual zero so they've got average intelligence average wisdom so they're as smart as most people in that respect i suppose uh the abilities you are kind of the ones that you would expect um the stereotypical ones they've got regeneration so they regenerate 10 hit points at the start of each of their turns uh, as long as they have at least one hit point this doesn't work if you have them stood in sunlight, specifically sunlight. So if you're casting spells, make sure you look for the word sunlight and not just light or daylight or anything like that. Uh, unless your GM is a bit more blasé with that. But if you've got a rules as written GM, you need to make sure you're doing that right. Uh, have them stood in running water uh, or if they take some radiant damage uh, from holy water or a spell or whatever. Uh, you turn it off for a turn, basically. So you need to keep applying that effect to stop it switching its regeneration back on. It doesn't have to use an action to switch it on. It is just a static feature. Uh, they've got spider climbs, so they can go up and down surfaces, across vertical surfaces. So remember that as well, because a lot of people forget that. It's quite easy to sometimes kind of just go and regress back to a flat playing field when you're in a fight sometimes. Make them climb walls. Make them come run across the ceiling. Make them... Uh, pull their victims up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the most interesting um, aspect of a fight is is uh, it is when a DM uses three dimensions, not just two. Yeah, absolutely. Have them have them break into the second or third stories of buildings. You know, do that sort of thing. It's it's really good. Uh, they've got some weaknesses because vampires are very notably in all their mythos usually have some good weaknesses. Uh, they cannot enter a residence unless they have an invitation from one of the occupants. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a weaker version of the weakness that you'll see in a lot of ones where it's like the property owner has to invite them in. You don't have to worry about that. D&D is a bit too complex for, for that to, needed, to be needed. Uh, they are harmed by running water. They take some acid damage if they uh, end their turn in running water. So play the vampires like they would know that as well. Like 
you know, don't just go, oh no, they ended their turn in a river, take some damage, you know, they'll, they'll know that, so play around that. Uh, only do it if they've got no other choice, but allow players to kind of try to trap them in that position as well. Uh, standard stake to the heart, uh, vampire is destroyed if a piercing weapon made of wood is driven into its heart while it is incapacitated or in its resting place. Vampires typically will have a resting place, the good old classic coffin trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have the sunlight sen- hypersensitivity they take, radiant damage every turn they start their turn in direct sunlight. Uh, while in sunlight, they have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to be something that will attack inside, at night, underground, in caves. Vampires are vampires are interesting because they have they have literally weaknesses written yeah. like out, out in, a, in a full thing. You don't get that a lot of time. You'll get your whole, like, with your resistances, you might also get, you know... Um, What's the one that's the opposite? The resistance. Um, uh, vulnerabilities. You occasionally get vulnerabilities, but there's no. It's not like as a as specific as what you do get with the vampires. And it's quite interesting because that's good because I think, obviously, generally when you are creating a a, a player character or monsters, if you the the DM sort to do, that yep. you come up with weaknesses for your character flaws as they are if you go by the build of the book. Um, and this is kind of like having physical flaws, and they're kind of fun to introduce anyway. Like, it's always that whole thing of like some monsters you might just have make them nocturnal anyway, because you want to. Yes. Or they only operate in these environments, or or um, that they only like, there's some things like you only get information from reading the lore and learning that, oh, that yeah, these creatures will only attack when threatened. It doesn't say that in their stat block. It's certainly worthwhile, you know, thinking about that. But, you know, they're a vampire as well, so play with that predatory instinct, the hunger, the desire to feed. Uh, they've got the typical attacks you would expect. They've got a claw attack and a bite attack, and they can make two attacks, uh, one of which could be a bite attack. One of the most interesting things for me about vampires is something that typically shocks players, um, is that when they make a claw attack, Instead of having to make a check to grapple somebody, you could just forego doing any damage and just grapple someone. No save, no fuss, no muss. You are grappled. And then the next attack could be a bite attack. Uh, and the bite is quite a nasty little little attack. Uh, it'll do some extra necrotic damage and it will reduce the target's maximum hit points by the damage, by the necrotic damage that it's done. <laughs> Usually, if you go down to zero hit points, if your maximum HP is down to zero, you are dead. No death saves required. So it's an interesting little thing to be both aware of and conscious of. Being vampires, being kind of very story-driven creatures, they've got a lot of regional effects. Uh, a lot, even the vampire spawns themselves, it's got a lot of, like... Lair effects, not necessarily lair rules, but it's just yeah. flavor. I think the the ones like for the way we're looking at it's it's interesting that a, a vampire spawn has a lair. To me, I think it's because the idea is that you wouldn't just have a vampire spawn; you would have a nest, as they're typically called in most mainstream media these days. Uh, like there's a noticeable increase in the populations of bats, rats, wolves in the region. Plants within 500 feet of the lair wither. 
Their stems and branches become twisted and thorny. Shadows cast within 500 feet of the lair seem abnormally gaunt and sometimes move as though alive. It's a lot of that kind of Brem Stoker vibe stuff mm-hmm. that you see in classic Dracula. Uh, you know, so it's it's really there's really good stuff there. So it's more regional effects rather than lair, mm-hmm. uh, but it it's, it does also suggests some possible lairs but they are very stereotypical they'll have their lair in a very defensible location such as a castle a fortified manor a walled abbey they hide in coffins in an underground crypt underneath or a vault guarded by like the this is talking about the vampire lord because they would be guarded by vampire spawn or other loyal creatures of the night so Mm -hmm. uh they're a really really good creature type to use if you're having a very themed campaign like Curse of Strahd or something else related to either a domain of dread or if you just like to go with gothic horror, you like undead as a creature type vampires are just a great one to have uh, if you're running a campaign that's in a large city it's always fun to have vampires as something if you want them to be the main thing or if you want them to be just like a little bit of a, a presence that's just always there because a large city has lots of food for them and both work so it's they're very versatile and that's probably why i like them as well even if, even if you take my natural love for vampires out of them everything that they are as a creature type i think is fantastic and useful and very very versatile it's good because as we it, it, i always think vampires are an interesting one as well because they have the same i don't know what you call it the leveling up system i guess that dragons kind of have where there are different types of dragon there are different types of vampire um so I think there's only really the two, right, with the vampire, vampire spawn and vampire. But you could vampire themselves. I think you can modify their variants, which allow you to like make them spell casters and stuff like that. So yeah, there's. I know there there are rules if you uh, if you are traditional and like to read from the monster manual, they are listed in there. I know there's a uh, one that wields a, a great sword, one yeah. that wields it's, some it's, armor. There are spells that you can give them. Yeah, so there's the the spellcaster and the and the warrior. I think is the two variants. So basically, give them a great sword and let them cast spells. You could do both yeah. if you really want to do. They basically kind of have Strahd, right? So yeah. Um. Great. Again, uh, did you mention? I don't know if you mentioned. You may have, but there's also the vampires have regeneration. We talked about regeneration before. Yeah, mentioned that. You switch it off with radiant damage on vampires. Mm-hmm. I just find uh, we always love a good, uh, good regeneration in a monster, because it's one of those things where you're you're essentially giving it enough, giving it more hit points without actually giving it more hit points. Uh, it's a good little yeah. trick. It's one of those things with the vampires because they've got regeneration, but there's a lot of ways to turn it off because they've got they've got that nice big list of weaknesses, mm-hmm. and those weaknesses quite often do damage. So if you switch it off with though like with daylight. Not only you're switching off the regeneration, but you're also doing damage every turn to it with that, with whatever's causing that daylight. So instead of HP going up, it's going down. So it's mm. like a. That's always a good though. Like we've talked about with is it the troll before saying trolls, it's uh, fire that stops it from regenerating. Yeah. But if you're hitting with every other type of damage, but not fire, and it's and it's still regenerating. Same with them. As long as if you don't never hit in a vampire with uh, radiant damage or holy yeah. water. Um, then uh, it's still going to keep regenerating. It's not going to going to stop. Um, but yeah, we've used these in stride, right? We fought these. You did. You certainly did. 
Sometimes yeah. you fought buffed versions of them that were named NPCs that didn't die straight away. They, I, I transferred the turn to fog where you kill them ability onto some spawns to give them a bit more of a recurring feature, like these story characters, uh, mm -hmm. which isn't actually in, in the book, but it doesn't really give you much to work with. So I thought, well, I'm going to use these character names that it's given me, make them a bit more unique. And that's another thing you could do. You could you could have, we talked about that tiered hierarchy of dragons. Well, you could, you could take some of the abilities from a vampire lord add them to a vampire spawn mm -hmm. and like you know if you wanted to create like a middle tier that's mm -hmm. something you can definitely do okay. they're always flexible and that's generally the case with most monsters uh obviously you get your rules loyalty get very uh <laughs> stubborn about the rules and stuff and i'll be honest with you you get to a certain point when you've been dming a long time or you've been running a campaign for a long time and stuff yeah. from the monsters manual or even sometimes just new stuff. <laughs> even stuff in Planescape may end up being a bit too mundane or boring for you, and you want to you want to uh, make it more interesting. Um, also, not not in a safe from Planescape. I've used one thing from Planescape, quite enjoyed it. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah. would, would use again, um, but I uh, have before on many occasions looked at the uh, monster manual or Volos and gone. I like that. I like this, this, and this, but that that guy's gonna go down like a sack of potatoes. So, oh yeah, we're gonna give him a little more hit points, put him some new armor, maybe give him a better weapon, probably a magical one. And you know what? This dude's gonna be cursed, so I'm gonna give him this, this, and that as well. Because it's always far more interesting for me to be able to not then go look. Well, well, I've got this guy, but maybe there might be something else in the book that can do it for me. I just kind of. Go and create my own from yeah. from that, rather than uh, go look at something else. Maybe I'm lazy, or maybe I just like doing it the hard way. I don't know which one it is. Probably the hard way, I think. Yeah, no, fair enough. But yes, Vampire Spawn is a good shout for your uh, for your probably for your mm, tier two party. Maybe yeah, early early to uh, to mid um, leveled characters. Yeah, After much. a certain point, they 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 join the ranks of the goblins and the kobolds, and they do. Don't take, don't last around. I mean, I wouldn't with the what eighty two hit points. Even if like they have their resistances, I would have to throw a number of these, a lot of these, at you guys to really slow you, to really slow you down, and not have them all die within rounds, three rounds, maybe max. Yeah, yeah. Very much. But Quite yeah. like that about them. Though. Yeah. But yeah. We will move on from Vampire Spawn. The, uh, just looking at the art as well, I'm like, that is both creepy and they've still tried to make it a little typical vampire sex. It's like, right, yeah. I've just put like a, like a bag over red. I just cover her head. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. The, the nails, she might have to trim those, but you know, like the rest, we're all right. Um, yes, they've kept the uh, the allure. Yeah, it's just, you know, the red eyes are not quite a, a stereo, right? Not quite a stereo. No. He's a vampire spawn, for those who 
is. So we will move on to spell of the week. It is my turn, and I have chosen a spell that I consider to be a controversial spell to some degree, more in its usage rather than what it actually is, because what it actually is is pretty straightforward. Yeah, I agree. It is leaf first level enchantment spell charm person, famous charm person. I would I would have it have it met used by um, many an uh, arcane spellcaster, your bards, your sorcerers, your walks, your wizards, uh, and also some some clerics and some druids. Well, I think all druids, but some clerics. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, it is uh, <laughs> more important or more to the point is it is a very common spell. Again, it's first level. You get limited choices. You look for some range. You uh, some different types of spells. You, it makes sense where people would choose it. Plus an action for you to cast it, which is also a great thing as well because it's one. It's basically done very quickly within six seconds, and it lasts for an hour, which is a lot of use, a lot of time for a first level spell. Um. And obviously, ver only having verbal and semantic components uh, also means no spellcasting focus or uh, material components required. That's true. But not a concentration spell either. It is not a concentration spell. No, it is not. Um, I guess simply put, you cast against somebody, they need to meet your wisdom saving throw. And it does so if you're if you're actually engaged in combat with it. So if you're fighting, you or your companions are fighting it. Um, if it fails the saving throw, it is charmed by you until the spell ends, or until your 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 bodies or yourself do anything harmful to it. Yeah. Uh, and the charm creature uh, regards you as a friendly acquaintance. But then once that spell runs out after an hour or until you do damage to it. Uh, it knows it has been charmed. Now, if you need a little idea of what charmed is, by the way, charmed is a condition within 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Much like um, stunned or um, unconscious, Pleasure. I guess. Poisoned, um, exhausted, and, and so on and so forth. Many, many. Look them up. Play a handbook. Get it out. Uh, but a charm, a charm creature can't attack the charmer or target the charmer with harmful, harmful abilities. And the charmer has advantage on any ability check to interact socially with the creature, which is technically the point that I consider to be the slight controversial aspect of this spell. And the, the bit that is commonly um, ignored or misunderstood. That's yes. because I've seen on more than one occasion someone gets to use his charm spell, and the next thing you know, that the target essentially the creature targeted just is like it's on it's like dominated yeah and it's not it's literally just an advantage you now have advantage with your charisma save your charisma checks basically is what it gives you it can't attack you again it doesn't mean that it can't order someone else to attack you but it can't it can't it can't attack you um I thought that it's going to. It's going to review your friendly acquaintances. It's not going to order someone else to attack you, but that would just be being silly. But 
The whole thing I open up an issue with with regards to this spell is that people treat it like it's a dominate spell. Isn't it? It's... Yeah, they treat it like mind control, like full mind control. It is. It is literally you just get an advantage. There's no no now. I don't need to make a charisma check or a persuasion a persuasion check or deception or whatever. Yes, you still need to do those. You just do those now with advantage. That I is... think my my thing with this spell. Hmm. You said it at the start, like your bards learn it, your warlocks learn it, your sorcerers learn it. Getting uh, advantage when you're a charisma based class. Likely you have, or at least I find with myself, you'll have proficiency in one of the charisma-based skills. Mm-hmm. It's likely the one that you want to use. And you may, if you're a bard, you might have proficiency in persuasion, deception, and performance. You know, it's not it's not unheard of. Like, Fitz has got expert in deception. Mm-hmm. He has plus 13. He doesn't need advantage. Yeah, but also Fitz is a level uh, and level nine character. This he is, is not he is. something really designed for a level nine character. This is your, this is your first level, second, third level characters. You could still take a variant human at level one, uh, take the feat uh, to to get skill expert, have expert in deception or persuasion. Mm. You, you could still you could still have extremely high stats in those already. I think it's a great spell for the other casters. Wizards don't typically have high charisma. Uh, it can be seen as a dump stat for wizards. Understandably so. Uh, I would typically dump strength, usually on a wizard, but uh, if I had to dump anything. Uh, and same for you know druids. I think it's a great spell, but it's a niche spell. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one that you're not going to use in combat, so that whole... Uh them about uh you know them getting advantage if you're fighting it i mean yeah. you, you're probably never going to use in that situation like it only really came up in um uh what i would vote as my game of the year Baldur's gate 3 um in conversations where you get the option where you got guidance you're going to throw on it anyway yeah and then you got oh, shall i use charm person as well i've got it like especially for Brief time I played a wizard, uh, or I had a spell scroll that was a charm person thing. Um, you might use it, and to be fair, there's no real disadvantage in the, in the video game of using charm person like there is in Rossi in, in the actual spell. Yes. But yeah, it's it just one of those where it's. Talked about this, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I've definitely talked about it in person in a moment about it. There's this illusion on this. Perception that somehow first level spells or second level spells are really powerful, and that people expect them to 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 do amazing, wonderful things when they're not built for that. They're basics. They're yeah. they're your they're your basics. So you shouldn't be expecting ridiculous things from a first level spell like Charm Person. It is no. one of those where people do try to get all the way with a lot, with a lot, with Charm Person. It's a bit like how people might try and get away with a lot with like Minor Illusion, for example, which is only a cantrip, which is even worse yeah. of a crime. Um, it's there to grease the wheels of the conversation. Yeah, I think it's just people wanting to do things or wanting to be useful. It's, it's, I think it often more comes up with a certain type of player who's likely to want to be useful in a situation and has nothing else to throw at it and then... Instead of just keeping their mouth shut or staying quiet or letting someone else have a go, they just uh, think, oh, can I 
I will use this and then I'm gonna do that. Yeah. I imagine it's probably one of those things where we're at the table, someone goes, oh, I've got a charm person, I'll help you out. Throw a charm person on them. And uh, that person goes, oh, thank you. And then it doesn't do, any, do anything for them. Yeah. It's, uh, one thing I like about the spell hmm. is that when it ends, they know that you were charmed. So you've got, I, for me, there's like, a, a, again, a hierarchy of enchantment spells. Yeah, there's the one that's a cantrip, which is friends. Yeah. At the end of that, they become hostile towards you. Hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean they attack. They could. They might just say, excuse me, how do you do that? Get the fuck out. Um, they just draw, they so. draw their pots and pans and beat you over the head. They might do that. They might get the skillet out. And, uh, you know, you'll run into your new favourite phrase, Uncle Consequences. Uncle Consequences, I uh, yeah. Uh, then you've got Charm Person, where they know that they've been charmed, but they don't have to go hostile as a result. The rule doesn't say that they do. The DM can still say it. You know, it's not. It's, it depends on the situation, I think. Mm. Uh, then you've got Suggestion, which doesn't have any of that. Uh, it completely loses the knowledge that they were charmed. Mm-hmm. Um, you could still... Like, when was that Suggestion was... One of my first ones. One of your first ones, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a favourite of mine because I really like how long it lasts, but because it's an eight-hour spell if you concentrate. And that one is a concentration spell as well, so it's it's got its costs there as well. Um, it's, it's really good. You could I, I would still be fine with the DM saying that the person that you suggested knew about the suggestion spell if the actions that they committed to were so out of character that they were like, what came over me then? Something was done to me. I, don't, I might yeah, not or, know who did like, it or I what did it. But... We, we talked about it. I don't remember what the components were for for suggestion because if it's verbal or semantic, that it's visual or audio, that they, can, that it, they, they saw it. Like, well, that guy did something yeah. to me. Um, Unless you were able to hide it somehow. Slight, um, slight hand check would have been enough. to Or stealth or what's about that? Yeah. Just to cover it. Sorcery. Um, a magic thing, I think, that helps with that as well. Subtle, but, um, subtle, subtle something? Subtle spell, maybe. Yeah, um, then you've got the one that everybody conflates these spells with, which is Dominate Person. Mm-hmm. Dominate Person is a fantastic spell when you use it correctly, and not when you're a dirty little thirsty hombag that thinks you can just use it to seduce, to automatically seduce someone. Technically, you can, because <laughs> Dominate Person can make someone do anything, but just, just don't bring that to D&D, you weirdo. Uh, no, because then, um, then aren't you the bad guy, right? Exactly, yeah. People uh, say Necromancy is the worst school. I think mm, we all know it's enchantment. It's enchantment. There's only... Uh, you, you're not really a slave master if all you're doing is animating dead meat. If you're yeah. actually forcing sentient creatures to do your bidding, then that's a bit different. That's a yeah, bit more evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agreed, agreed, agreed. As a player, I have used Dominate Person uh, as a defensive spell. I do quite like looking like... It, the first time I used it, we were against uh, a group of... Not rival adventurers, but they weren't just bandits. There was They were kind of bandits a little bit, but there was... There was like a leader. They were they had a spellcaster with them, mm-hmm. so they weren't just a bunch of bandits, basically. Uh, and I took over the spellcaster's mind, and he then turned around and in the, the famous Danny DeVito quote from Always Sunny, he just started blasting. So anyway, he started blasting. Mm. It was great. It was it was a really fun time. Fun times were hard. You uh, as as dominant person, you could just force. 
person, the creature that you're dominating to do whatever you want. And that is the only only dominate one. Only... It's important to remember that dominate person is also only for humanoids. That is true. It's, it's dominate monster. beast, person, and monster. Yes. There are three different versions Monster of the spell. will get you everything. Yeah, uh, make sure you get the right one. That's a, that's a higher level spell, though. <laughs> it is, yes. Not, not ridiculously higher, but higher level, yes. No, no, yeah, not not st- stupid. Not like, it's not 7 plus, I think it's 5 or 6. Yeah, it's more like, I want to say 6. It's 6. 6 of my I guts, but I'd yeah. be talking out our ass for all I know. Which you can make someone do, which you can make someone do if you use the paper person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I think the, the thing to remember as well about Dominate is... It's useful as a DM. Yeah. It's a nasty thing to do as a DM. So I wouldn't say do it very often and be careful with what you choose to do. But Dominate is the is the charm spell that doesn't break if you do damage to them. If because you can tell them, you can literally tell them to do damage to themselves. You could force, you could take over their turn in combat and just force them to do anything. So it's it's is crazy. It, is it silly. is it one where is it? No, we're not even. We're doing charm person, but we're talking about enchantment spells. So I'm going. I think to it's because, as a subject, it causes that discussion yeah. to happen. Uh, I just wanted to know if <laughs> if you can make it hurt itself, because I know that it's a thing that some enchantment spells are unable to do. Suggestion can't do it. It specifically says you can't tell them to jump off a cliff or throw themselves on their spear or whatever. Uh, it doesn't say so of, uh, with Dominic Person. It does uh, every time it takes damage get to another, another chance to, to do the test again. But it, you could theoretically, yes, have it do like a bit seppuku if you wanted. Yeah, it's because of the wording of that you can use your action to make, to take over their turn specifically rather than hmm. just giving them loose orders. Uh, so I, I've never used it that way, but I've always thought fifth level of that. Fifth level for dominant person. Dominant beast must be must be four. I've definitely got to come up with some just horrible um, enemy monster enemy and monsters uh, wrong word en- enemy for Stormare that's uh, an enchanter. Um, just because they can do some horrible shit and uh, yep. I always forget about it. Even Fitzel Fitzel loves Fitz loves to use the suggestion, but. He... The fact dominating someone would be like he would find that very mm. bad test. Yeah, my current villain is not going to do that. Uh, I'm just thinking about whether I could, and I'm like, mm, no, not really. Um, I kind of do. It, it just makes someone that you just everyone's gonna hate. <laughs> yeah. So why not? Um, but yeah, that <laughs> get your party to hate them. <laughs> I think the only other thing about Charm Person, to, Charm Person, to go back to Charm Person, uh, the only other thing yes. to add to Charm Person is that if you cast at higher levels, you can cast it on multiple people. Very much uh, like a lot of enchantment star spells, like Fear as well, I think you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I like it for that. I have nothing more to add to Charm Person. You know my beef with it, and you know that... Though it may not appear or sound so, I actually do quite like the spell. Yeah, it's a good spell when used correctly. Um, yes, I understand the pet peeve of misuse of certain spells, just like most any other spell that can be misused. 
Hey, which I guess is a good segue into our next topic. We talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it again because we're British and we love to moan. We do. And that is hot takes and pet peeves. Hot takes being, obviously, takes that are particularly spicy, that are not common, that will no doubt get some negative feedback. And of the pet peeves being just little things that annoy you in the world of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs. Rob has told me he has something to talk about, so I'm going to let him talk. It is something that has sparked debate in, I think, both groups. I don't think we had that much of a debate over it. Um, I know it sparked debate a little bit when the first wave of testing came out for 1D&D. It's a while ago now. It's when we were playing Strahd. Um, and they changed the rules. So it's about getting a natural 20 and getting a natural 1. My hot take is that the current rules in 5th edition are correct. I like them the way they are. Which is that in combat, a natural 1, you miss. Or you fail, whatever it is you, you do it. A natural 20 is a crit. Out of combat... They are simply a dice roll. You add your modifiers. You tell you tell the DM the total result. They decide whether it's a fail or a success based on the total result. In the one D rules, they changed it so that every natural one is always a fail and every natural twenty is always a success. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of reasons that I don't like that. One is I think, again, going back to your point about trying to get more than what a player should get out of a situation. I think it's very easy for a lesser experienced DM to not know how to deal with a player saying, oh, I want to do this, and I want to tell that shopkeeper to give me everything they've got in their store. And the DM goes, all right, roll for it. And they get a natural 20, and they go, okay, that's a success, right? That has to be a success because that's a natural 20. They have to give me everything. So realistically, in my opinion, that's not a succeedable role because the shopkeeper would be like, why would a shopkeeper ever give absolutely everything to somebody for free? Mm-hmm. Unless, unless like maybe, maybe on an extreme severe intimidate and you'd already set their shop on fire. We'd have maybe. to go back to the, the enchantment discussion. It'd have to be magic. That's the only reason someone would do something like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But technically rules is written in the one d version where a natural 20 is always a success. I think... There's an argument to be said that the player has more weight than they currently do in their argument. As an experienced DM, I could still shut that down and say, no, you've got a success, but a success in this situation is not what you're actually asking for. A success is the shopkeeper goes, all right, Joker, stop taking the piss, get out of my shop or buy something before I call the guards. That's that's the most success they can get out of that situation is that the shopkeeper does not turn completely aggressive towards them for such a stupid and flagrant attempt to like strong army them. Mm-hmm. My other peeve is that a natural one, yes, it is the lowest you can roll. I appreciate that. Um, and I've not math hammered it out in a long time, but I know that if you build your character the right way, a natural one could still be over 30 when you add modifiers. That's that's not a fail. <laughs> there is some abilities that you're that good at. If you've got the expert feet, if you've got other things like the flash of genius from the artificer, guidance, the memories of a past life from being a reborn, uh, you know, the list goes on. There's other abilities that add to that. You can very easily get 
um, over 30. I've seen people show up, I've not ever properly looked into it, but I've, you know, like watching like Offbeat Outlaw, I've seen him show builds that could get plus 20 on, uh, sorry, plus 50 on stealth and stuff like that. So a natural one, when it succeeds higher than what another player could get with a natural 20, you can't tell me on any given day that that's a fail. That's that, that's, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I get it. I you want me to be devil's advocate? Is that what you're running? I, I suppose I could do that to some degree. Yeah. I can try and argue. Uh, I guess the argument is that um, uh, was it a broken clock is right twice, uh, two times, twice a day over it is. Yeah. There's always a possibility that even if you have a perfect plus 30 to your to your skill, that yep. you could still potentially fail. Yeah. Nothing is a certainty. And that's why, like, if you roll a natural one, it should be a, automatically be a failure. So I have to agree with that. But like, that's just yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be the devil's advocate, the the argument against what you're saying. Um, I think it really depends on what you what the role is. Uh, there are some things that I can I can apply unluckiness to more so personally than I can to other things. Mm-hmm. So if it's, for example, a history check. Or a, an arcana check, or a, any knowledge-based check, any anything where you, you try to recall information, you're not going to trip and fall. So, I mean, yeah, you you could say because you, you were walking and thinking you, you tripped and fall, but, you, but you're not really. Mm-hmm. You're going to be stood about trying to think of something. It's not like a an, an athletics check or an acrobatics check where you your foot could slide on some loose rocks and you can you can quite easily attribute bad luck or bad foot placement mm-hmm. to that. Um, and that also, I think, I mean, rules is written, I'm right anyway, so there is that, but also, <laughs> if you are expending abilities to boost your score, you are paying a cost as well to get out of that kind of failure. So as a DM, I would be like, right, well, natural, I, I might not give them the perfect like solution mm. to the situation or the knowledge, because because they rolled a natural one, but I'm going to give them some stuff mm. because they you they expended more resources. Like you only get so many flash of geniuses a day. Uh, in the newer system, guidance was a reaction, so someone you, has used their reaction to cast guidance on you, or you only get so many memories of a past life a day, that sort of thing. So you're expending finite resources to get to those sort of high results. So I, I think that that needs to be acknowledged as well. I think the way I would flavor, say, if what we're talking about, we're using acrobatics, when we? Or you were yeah. uh, just a moment ago. If you get a natural one on an acrobatics, but still you're getting over twenty as a result, yeah, you can still make that interesting as flavor as flavorful as you want. Yeah. It's, I think it a big it comes down to the DM. The DM has to say is you step on a rock that gives way because you weren't you weren't really paying attention. You got you're cocky because you always do really well with like with um, yeah. these sort of dex rolls you step on a rock it gives way you're about to fall off the cliff but your natural instinct your just your experience kicks in and you manage to rotate your body back around to land safely on this narrow cliff something like that where it's yeah. still like oh look you almost messed it up i kind of don't mind with that because it's not a consequences failure mm-hmm. i just don't like the idea of i think i think realistically you could say my hot take is that 
and don't like bad DMs <laughs> <laughs> that don't really know how to deal with that kind of like polarizing situation. Yes. Um, if I was in a campaign as a player and it was discussed in session zero that a natural one is always a fail, then I'm fine with that because mm. consistency has been set, consistency mm -hmm. is followed. I also won't go for any kind of bullshit build because I know it's not going to work. But it's like if I've knowing if I've gone for that, even just as Narakis, like all he had was Flash of Genius, and that meant that he could add plus five to mm. anything as a reaction. If he had also been a reborn, which isn't that, like it's not that meta gamey to say, oh, I'm a reborn and I've I'm a artificer. Like they're only that's only a race in a class. It's not like you've taken loads of feats to get. It's like you've taken a lucky feat. It's not like you've mm -hmm. taken. Um, uh, spellcaster initiate to get guidance and you know stuff like that um so i don't think it's that metary i just i just wouldn't think to do that as much if i knew i couldn't it's mm. just i think it's the idea of that if you would as a baseline follow rules of written and then a dm turns around and says that natural one's always a fail i don't like that attitude because mm. it should be established beforehand typically by the way it is usually always a fail because most of the time people don't have ridiculous pluses I think that's another part of the issue is people get used to a natural one usually being a fail. Like, if I was to continue with a little bit of the debug advocate thing, I, I do kind of get the idea there's no point in making a check then if you're always going to succeed. I agree there too. Because well, there's no point in having the dice on the table if you're just going to do it. Like... For certain checks, yeah. If you were going to say to me, do you want to roll or do you want to use a flash of genius straight off the bat and do you mm. want to use... Rebus from a past life straight off the bat. Give me some flavour in how you do those things, and we'll just avoid. We won't go for the roll. I'll give you. I'll give. I would even say that's fine. Um, I'd say I'll give you the middling result for free. Um, but if you want to try and achieve an absolute like a extra bonus level of information or mm. result of whatever skill check or result mm. of a persuasion check, then. That's when the dice come into it. That's when mm -hmm. chance comes into it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Out of curiosity, you just reminded me, obviously I did play a reborn with, with Emmerich and I just forgot that there were certain things. Again, because he died and then we run someone else. <laughs> yeah. Knowledge from a past life, I completely forgot about. Have you used that with Fitz? No, because I forget that he's a reborn sometimes. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't remember you ever, because it's not something like, we're not a table or a, a digital table where we don't announce the, the things that we're using, the abilities we're using. So if you were you, if you were going to use knowledge from a past life, you would have gone, yeah. I'm just going to use knowledge from a past life. <laughs> Do you know why that happened? You've never done that. It's happened because D&D Beyond does not do lineages very well. No. When you make something that is a, a Dampier a reborn or a hex blood. I think the hex blood is what it's called. The hag one that I've never played. Yeah. Um, it assumes you've always been that. Whereas actually, if you read Tasha's, the rule the rules yeah. are that you could have become that halfway through your life. You, you, like, and it started off as just the and, rules for an yeah. owlin. And Rick Tenses, I think, is the way it's worked from the lineage. Yeah, sorry, Tasha's uh, is what I said. I meant Van Richten's. Yeah. Talking rubbish. Uh, but yeah, Fitz started off as a as an owlin technically, even though he's a raven. Yeah. Or whatever we've skinned him as. Uh, and then he died and became a reborn as part of his part of his pact, uh, being that he's an undead warlock. Um, 
But they, they and don't. And the Warlock like that serve the Celestial Being, which is in of itself uh, a great thing that we came up with. Shows you don't have to stick to the to things as written. But gone. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, well, I mean, the Celestial Being, the Reaper, but <laughs> it's it's just says it's a celestial body in that it, I suppose it functions. Hmm. They're, they're, yeah, they're more of like a function, aren't they, the Reapers? But yeah. but anyway, yeah, it's. Uh, it is what it is. I forget that I've got it. I remember the other stuff, like don't breathe, don't eat, don't sleep. Yeah, you've brought, yeah, um, brought that many times. Yeah. Th- those just seem to be like part of my memory. I really, until just this conversation, had forgotten that past lives was a thing. Uh, I need to bring that in a lot more and, and uh, <laughs> do it. <laughs> well, now, yeah. you, now you might tomorrow when we, when we play. Yeah. You might do it. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, what I'm gonna have to do is I'm just. I've I've gotten to the to the habit because I know the books so well, mm. and I've moved them downstairs onto a shelf just for space because the office has got. Well, it's a mess. <laughs> um, that I haven't read Van Richten's in a while, uh, so yeah, I could probably do with having that up here since that I am combining things and my character sheet on D and D Beyond doesn't necessarily match. The full extent of what fits is. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Maybe I'll just remind you. It's partly I am the dungeon master. Sometimes you maybe you just need to prod, but um, I'll be honest. Fail. Rob makes ridiculous builds anyway that I don't want him to have success all the time. <laughs> I'm not going to bring. Yeah, it up. but fit... <laughs> yeah, but that's something like I Fitz has failed plenty of things because he doesn't have the best intelligence, for example. Mm-hmm. So when you've asked him to, I've I've, I've had some. Shockers of rolls last session. I got a couple of threes and fours. I know that, um, but that's fine. You know, I've made him to be extremely good at charisma and not fantastic at strength or intelligence. He's he's very dexterous as well. You know, he's great at picking pockets. Not as good as as some other as rogues because mm-hmm. they can quite easily get expert at that. But is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose there. I mean, I talked about many of my hot take, um, couple of hot takes, couple of pet peeves last week. Uh, but, you know, I'll just talk about the one that was present in my mind because we talked about it just before we started recording. And that was just the consistency of world building. It lacked in general Forgotten Realms, Faerun, yeah. Toril, Law. Um, and I feel like there's not a, a... Maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like there is a good place to go to. I, I like the Forgotten Realms wiki. Once you know how to use it, it's alright. Is, it, is everything linked and properly set up in the way that it should? No. But it's it does the job. But I agree if, that. if that is the only source of, of the lore in its entirety that you can go to, it's the place you're gonna gonna go to. But just, being that I was looking at going through all the like we talked about how uh, before the podcast, so I'll repeat myself. There are th- there are three essentially the main cosmologies used within the world building of of the Forgotten Realms, um, and that is the Great Wheel cosmology. Yep. So that's where you've got the wheel with the material plane in the middle, along with the Feywild, the, the Shadowfell, and then the elemental planes around it, and then beyond around that you've got all the um different outer planes that are all in a certain order um the top point being good the bottom being evil left to right is lawful to chaos is that the one that's in the player's handbook 
Yes, I think they're. I don't know if he's in the Clay's handbook, but he's in might be in the DM's guide. They're, yeah, all, they're all in the DM's guide. Oh, are they? It might oh. also be in the Clay's handbook as well. I'm sure there's one that's in the PBH. Carry on. Probably, but yes, the the big thing with the oh. the Great Wheel, which I'm sure I can put on the screen, uh, but the, <laughs> the the Great Wheel is it's fine. It's just uh, it's a little rigid for my liking. Um. And it, when you start bringing in things like the outlines and stuff like that, it doesn't really make any yeah. sense anymore. And then when uh, you start looking at all the lore about how pretty much every freaking uh, plane then has planes within its plane, like layers. So the most common one, obviously, everyone knows that most people heard of is the Nine Hells, which I'm actually yep. quite fine with the Nine Hells, kind of makes sense to me. But then you've got like, the Seven Heavens of, um, of I don't really get the, the Celestia. Ones, to be honest. Hades has it all, uh, Acheron has loads, and it's just like, oh, what about the Abyss? There's the infinite layers of the Abyss. Like, there's infinite layers. Like, <laughs> it's just like, like, again, with the Abyss, I'm kind of like not so bothered about it. It's the idea of like, pure chaos, right? So, yeah. Quite pure evil, chaos evil, chaotic evil. So, I'm kind of fine with it. Uh, and that seems a bit all over the place, but if that was just what they stuck with and that's what they said it was, I'm fine. And then at some point, I'm not exactly what point it was, uh, probably around 4th edition, 3rd or 3rd or 4th edition, I think, they then switched to the to the um, the World Tree. The World Tree is taken from Norse mythology. And, and they, oh, and, the Yggdrasil. And the Yggdrasil. The Yggdrasil tree. And with like its roots being in, I don't know, one place, and branches are all the outer planes, and the and the, the actual trunk is the material plane and that sort of stuff. Um, I can get why they didn't keep it because I don't also care particularly for that one because I think it's a bit... Um, if it's only supposed to be like a, an analogy or a metaphor, uh, uh, I don't see what has to be a, a giant tree. Um, that one. Yeah, that one. That's a great wheel. Uh, I... It's three or three. There you go. Or the player's handbook. But yeah, the world tree. And but with the world tree, they they renamed a lot of stuff. They renamed like some planes became other planes, and some planes were rammed together. But for the most part, it was like now we have Alfheim and Svartalheim and Jotunheim, yeah. and we now have Isgard, and and um, House of Nature is one of them. Uh, but we still keep a couple here or there. But we're gonna. It's just messy. It's suddenly switching from one one, and you can't say oh, like they're they're in world. Um, the way they explain it in world is like ah, some people believed it was this, and some people believed it was that. But as soon as you can start going to a plane when there's plane shifting and there's portals, yeah, you can't no longer have that. There literally has you have to decide on what the planes are. It can't be a theory anymore. It becomes a reality. I uh, think the, can, the, the layout the, can change, uh, but the actual planes should not change. Keep your consistency with your world building. Sorry, bro. You could. No, it's fine. You can have it that it says these are some of the beliefs, hmm. but I would always then want this is the correct answer. Hmm. This is actually how it works. Which, which, this is why the pe- these are the people that believe this. These are the people that believe this. These are the people that believe this. But 
they, and the reasons that they have gone to this conclusion is because they've discovered these, 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 and these of the actual real situation. I, I don't mind that stuff if it was like that, but it's mm -hmm. not. It's just a big old mess. And yes. I think that's that's just yeah, but, frustrating. Because even now they're not even in the world tree. They moved on to the world axis, and I assume the world axis is where we are now. Not, but then you look at the fifth edition player's handbook. It's got the great wheel in it, so are we in the great wheel again? But all the all the forgotten realms wiki reads as though the great uh, the world axis is the correct is the current um the current way it is, is done. I mean I was reading some bit laws a bit of the lore about Shar and stuff like that, it reads very much like that would be the case. Um it's just like okay, well then you also decided now that, that um the elemental planes collapse into the elemental chaos and all this stuff. So you're making big world you're not just making like ah theoretical changes. That's big whole world changes. That's like you go. To, you had these literal worlds of fire, water, earth, and and air that are now essentially amorphous. Is that the right? Yeah, amorphous. They they, they change shape. They are in chaos. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, all right, this is why people create their own their own multiverses and play in their own worlds because you don't have one consistent through line with your lore, and I think it needs it. If I was honest, and, they, and they, when they eventually get round to finishing whatever the hell they're doing with one D and D, then maybe it's time that they do the the very what they did with Star Wars, create a freaking like choose someone as your lawmaster. Maybe they have a lawmaster. I have no idea. Um, and choose what the actual facts are, and then on top of I, that, you add the beliefs. I would absolutely love it if they would release a nice big book that was just a historia. Yeah. The complete... But you could even say, this is how it was in 3rd edition, this is how it was in 3.5, 4, whatever. You could even have that. You could have, this is how it is. This is how it is at this point in time, which is when 5th edition starts. Mm -hmm. And then you could even... Because the good thing about that is that you'd be able to say, uh, this is when... Descent into Avernus mm -hmm. takes place, and that's why these characters are in it. Mm -hmm. This is when uh, this takes place, and that's, that's why this god is not in it because they're dead at this point. And you know, you could yeah. have that. Whereas, like now, all we have now is just a big fat mess. Like you can have a cleric believe in any god, even though some are dead, some are in different pantheons than they started in. Some yeah. have been in different pantheons. In some different are now two people rather than one. <laughs> we talk about we talk about teach, but we could talk about teach, for example, right? Teach, which is from the original Greek pantheon, right? I was learning about. I was reading about the thunder again. My my boy, the morning, <laughs> um, and he originally is in a romantic relationship with a goddess, or at least in a way very romantic. His first love was teach, right? Teach was um, goddess of change and fortune. Um, who and if you use a Dormal pantheon of Andrew is based on teach. Um, oh, and there's a whole really nice little comment about how like they once spent some time just sat on the back of a space whale watching galaxies form, very romantic and then she was broken into two people and that broke his heart he moved on because he he's now Shantae, or she's, however that's pronounced Shanti, um, the goddess of um, she's the nature goddess associated with like agriculture um, I mean, I, I see why he would be drawn to her. Yeah, uh, but it was because uh, they both make sense. 
but like yeah. uh but it, it it's like there's a god you've just split into two and I like Tamora and Bishaba. Don't get me wrong. Like that's I like Oh is that where they came from? Yeah, that's where they came from, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm I like those two. I'm using the Brinstorm here, they're in my they're in my the extended pantheon. Um yeah. but it's just it's one of those where clearly each edition they wanted to have like new law, but they wanted to have it as a run through. So it's like up up to the year one thousand, this is first edition. Up to the year three thousand, this is second edition. When they should have just gone. Actually, we're just going to change the world with the edition. That makes sense. Like there's been this yeah. many thousand years. This is the history. Now we're introducing new rules, new spells, new th- new things. We're changing it. We're retconning it. It would have just been easier to retcon it. And then yeah. all the wikis, all the books you read would would be correct, and you're not trying to interpret uh, the meaning of anything that you're reading on the page. Of how freaking yeah. Lothander became Amantur, who became Lothander, or whatever. This is why my uh, law knowledge is not very good, mm-hmm. uh, because it's such a mess, and I find it so overwhelming going to try and read up on mm-hmm. stuff that I only do it when I need to. Yeah, I think for me, I do it because maybe just I I like the the challenge, the puzzle. Yeah, um, and I'm looking for the good little bits of inspiration, the little things that are just oh, that's really cool. So then you can use that. Yeah, I agree there. Like I I liked so like the what the gods that I've used, I've used Bahama a lot, and I like the stuff that is in the wiki for him. You know, with all the little Bahama. Uh... By the way, it is done dirty in most of of Forgotten Realms lore. Because yeah. he's like secondary to Torm. He's Torm's bitch. And I'm like, really? <laughs> the the freaking Platinum Dragon. Not in any mind, it's not. Not even allowed on the upper layers of Mount Celestia, apparently. He's, only, he's got these little... He's allowed on the lower layer, layers. It's when he makes it out as if he's not allowed to go up there. You're like, why? <laughs> oh, what? He's a good guy. What's wrong with you? So I, I'm like, no. Bahamut? He, there, there are very few that are out that you know are more powerful than that boy in my head. <laughs> yeah, he's the Dragon King. You know, he's he's what it is. He is. Um, but yeah, that, but that kind of goes into what I do is I look at the cool stuff. Yeah. And I go, I like that, 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 that. I'm taking those, but I'm building this personality, and the, this god is my own version of that. And I think that's probably why why they keep it like such a mess because. They want to give people inspiration to do their own homebrew, but sure, if you're not but... doing your own homebrew, then it's difficult. Yeah, but you're just discouraging people from buying your own books. Yeah, it's a weird one. Because if you have to read every, you have to buy every single book just to understand the lore, then no, <laughs> not happening. Um, but yeah, that's my gripe because I've been doing a lot of work. World building unnecessarily, world building, but you know, it's what I do. Um, I have no more to add on that subject. That is my pet peeve, gripe, uh, what grinds my gears. Uh, it's not really a hot take, I imagine it annoys a lot of people, so not yeah. quite a hot take. Um, it's not like small enough to really be considered a pet peeve, I suppose. Uh, it's a frustration, it's a frustration. Um, and now I moaned in the tradition of our people. <laughs> Hewing and moaning, that is what we British people do. We are good at both of those things. For the most part. 
but we're about time, so I am going to call it on this episode as episode number 11 of the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast with Dan and Rob. The quote-unquote greatest DMs of all time. I said it, not Rob. So blame me if it's not true. Uh, well, we'll leave that for the players to decide. <laughs> uh, this podcast available on YouTube, which is probably where you are watching it. If you are, if you listen to it on on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, where it is also available, you can go and watch it on YouTube. See our our faces and, and Rob's sickly face. Sorry. You can see my lens flare at least. <laughs> so check us out on on those platforms. Also available on Instagram and on Twitter. You also find that we put out uh, what are called shorts on YouTube or reels on Instagram, or just little clips from our uh, podcast. Usually about two to three a week. I mean, two lately, two to three a week. Um, and they just hopefully remind you that there's a full podcast waiting for you on youtube so please like subscribe leave a comment and i hope all your dice roll 20s if they are capable of being you know d20s or if it's a d4 a four your d6 six eight so on max rolls for all max rolls for all i am going to do something right now which is similar to what you did last week I have a hot take that I know you share. Okay. We're not going to discuss it. Okay. It is just a fact. Spears are shit and they should be amazing. There, end the stream.